This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to Real Blend, a podcast that has a tattoo of the gimp on its left butt cheek. <laughs> My I name is Sean that. O'Connell, and I am the managing director here at Cinema Blend, and one-third... Of the hosting trio that is this weekly, though we have bad news, we're not going to record next week, uh, podcast of all things film and entertainment. I am joined, as always, by my great friend, Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kevin, my friend, how are you, sir? Hi, Sean. Hi. How are you doing I'm today? We, uh, we, were, we were just having a very... Um Vivid discussion of it off of uh, off mic. It is off mic because it's not under. It's still under embargo. We can't speak about it uh, on the public airways. I we were able to tweet about it, uh, but we can't give our full. Uh, oh, so yeah, that that kind of screws up the fact that we're not recording next week and we can't talk about it before it opens. Thanks, Gabe. I'll allow Gabe to sort of figure out the math on that one. That other voice is Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. I, I love that it's like, Hi, Jake. that voice you hear is my great friend, Kevin McCarthy. Also, Jake's here. <laughs> All right, we have a lot of stuff we need to get to this week, which is kind of funny because it's August, and this week in particular, there's um, nothing really of interest opening. But we have a couple of titles that the guys have managed to catch up on that we want to highlight and I will wait to bring them up in a little bit. Some things that are kind of flying under the radar that deserve more attention. Uh, films that aren't quite the Hobbs and Shaw level events um, that, uh, you know, lead people out to the theaters and have better stories to tell. And that's a transition into the fact that we're all heading to Toronto, hopefully, uh, to see some really good films during the Toronto International Film Festival. And this weekend, always around this time, is when we transition into the awards season. Again, if you are new to this podcast, that's how we started as Awards Blend, where we would talk about the films that were in the Oscar race, uh, dating all the way back to when the three of us first got together in Toronto uh, to speak about Alfonso Cuaron's Gravity. Somebody had a picture of that the other day. We look like babies. It was really, really adorable. Um, but before we get to the news of the week, we start with reviews. And again, Gabe sort of wants me to point out the fact that we've had a ton of really good support from reviews by everybody on Apple Podcasts. We're getting some really great uh, email reviews from folks. We're getting people who are even weighing in on social media saying like, when is the notification for the new podcast going to drop? Like hoping that they can listen to it on their commutes home, which I think is tremendous. So we're going to read as many of these as we can, but we also don't want to completely overwhelm ourselves by patting ourselves on the back. As much as we love pumping up all of our own ego, um, we're going to limit it to at least one uh, review per week. And this one comes from Emily Shop Girl 152 She calls uh, this a really good podcast and says... This podcast has been a favorite of my sister's since it began, and several months ago, I began listening with her. Jake, Sean, and Kevin hooked me with their enthusiasm, knowledge, and opinions of films they love and don't love. While they clearly have a great rapport with, while they clearly have a great rapport with one another, their opinions can often differ, leading to lively debates and intelligent discussions. I found myself watching Tarantino movies for the first time because of them and discovering a oh! new filmmaker whom I That's now huge. love. 
Can you imagine like, having not seen a Tarantino film and then going oh, I'm, to I'm a, jealous. I'm jealous um, of being able to watch a Tarantino movie for the first time. That is pretty amazing. Um, so thank you, Real Blend, for being entertaining and introducing me to new filmmakers and movies I would not have previously considered. Keep up the awesome work. Hashtag Kill Bill is one movie. Hashtag Forrest Gump is great. Now, Whoa! now, Gabe, seriously, what the hell? Like, why choose that one when so, it's wait, if, so blatantly aimed at me? If her sister introduced her to the podcast, does that mean that was Kevin's aunt who left that comment? <laughs> yes. That was my, that was my Aunt Char. <laughs> uh, well, I love that she's been listening long enough to understand um, the Kill Bill discussion and the Forrest Gump discussion. There's somebody asked me about an inside joke on the show. Oh, Kevin, take a minute, to please, just to describe. Uh, they, they, I think they're late to watch, uh, listening to the show or joining it somewhat recently. And they said, um, why do you guys end the show with Dunkirk? Is it like your favorite movie of all time? Hmm. And uh, I kind of ham-fistedly explained it. But can you give a basic insight into why we end the show with Dunkirk? Oddly enough, I don't remember how it started. <laughs> well, no, I, That's I mean, how long I, I we've just, been doing this. Isn't that crazy? Well, the reason why, I mean, all I know is that I... If I had to guess, I think it was something to do with like getting in the last word okay. at the end of the podcast. And I think like, cause I, you know, Dunkirk was my number one movie of that, of that year. So I, I think that what happened was, I think Jake and I might've been fighting over the last word, like solo <laughs> name scene or whatever it was. I can't remember what it was, yeah. but Dunkirk, I don't know. How did it become the last thing we said? It just, it caught on relatively early on. It's like the yeah. second or third episode of, of you kind of ending it by shouting that each time. And now, I remember the reason. Like, truthfully, I'm committed so much to the bit that it has to keep going until we get Nolan on the show and until he says it himself. Now, that may take <laughs> till next year when Tenet is in theaters, uh, but that right Tenet. now is the goal. And kind of, yeah, then we got to get used to yelling that. All right, let's shift over to talking points where we are going to discuss what I hope are two films that we will continue to chat about throughout the entire awards season, starting with this. Runtime rumor about Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. The Irishman potentially may uh, last three and a half hours long. And I think our collective response to that is great. Like, great. Like, how more Irishman, right? Is that yeah. is that basically what you guys I mean, think? I don't, I don't understand the idea of, uh, I talked about this on air this morning on my show, and there's sort of that initial knee-jerk reaction from some of my anchors of like, oh my God, that that's, that's too long. How could we possibly sit down that long without going to the bathroom? And I was like, what are you, like 80? You can't go three and a half hours without, I mean, it's no different than if you were going to, you know, binge watch you know what? The four episodes of a TV show in a row, or watch two movies back to back. Like you, like you, can't, you don't have the capacity to. Like we live in a world where Martin Scorsese is giving us a movie with Pacino, De Niro, Pesci, and Keitel. Give me as much of that as humanly possible. Like I want more. I mean, they. He's. I mean, we we've been hearing about a four hour cut of Wolf of Wall Street. I want to see that. I would absolutely have no problem sitting down and and enjoying. Three and a half hours worth of The Irishman. And yes, I can hold my bladder for three and a half hours because I'm a this, freaking adult. This concept of hold your bladder is such a weird thing that's come I, up ever I since these that. longer like, movies. Yes. It, this one reminds me, Roger Ebert has obviously the greatest quote in the world that comes to this. No good movie is too long and no bad movie is short enough, he said. So, and uh, the idea or concept of runtime only matters when you feel the movie not working, right? When you start to understand like, oh, this is really taking forever. 
But we have all experienced super long movies that feel like they go by in uh, in a split second. What what did we just see recently that felt oh, like it went by? And, and I'll give you a great example of one of those. Yeah. How about Martin Scorsese's The Wolf of Wall Street, which was three hours and it felt like it was 45 yeah. minutes. I mean, first of all, anybody questioning the length of this film oh. is just looking for something to complain about. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Yeah. That to me also felt like it zoomed by. Anybody complaining about the length of The Irishman is looking for something to complain about. Which That's is really funny is that I actually don't to. feel like I have seen anyone. I, I see a lot of people talking about people complaining about it, but I haven't actually seen anyone online actually complaining about it. That's what I find interesting is like, for example, The Boys. Um, Jake talks about binging. I've, I watched four or five episodes of The Boys in one sitting. I've watched a season of Breaking Bad in one sitting. I mean, like they're like anybody that we're talking about multiple hours. All you have to think about Irishman is it's three and a half episodes of a television yeah. show. That's really all you have to think about. And the idea that anybody would complain is it's just the the platform of Twitter. I mean, I have full confidence and the majority of, uh, of Scorsese's movies have been on the longer side. Casino was long. Goodfellas was long. They were two tapers. Bel- Remember the two tapers? Yeah, exactly. And, th- and this is definitely his longest. Titanic was, I mean, Titanic is obviously Cameron, but that was a movie that was th- over three hours and people had no problem with that. So I think I'm with Jake in the sense that if you want to give me a six hour uh, version of De Niro and Pacino and Pesci back together in a Martin Scorsese movie that is a once in a lifetime thing. I mean, yes, we've seen these characters. We've seen Pacino and De Niro in, in Heat and Godfather Part Two, but I want this movie, and I really and I think that I, I have full confidence that one of the greatest directors of our time will be making that movie flow along well. Well, I, I, I have, a, and I think that if the difference with episodes of television and Kevin mentions the boys, I'll bring up something like Mindhunter, is that those shows are structured specifically as episodes. Um, there, there is supposed to be an arc inside of the show and there is supposed to be some closure. And I don't want, uh, Scorsese's new film to feel like, you know, four episodes of a show jammed together. He's got to still figure out the pace of the story being told, but we're not, we're not trusting in one of the greatest filmmakers of all time that the story that he needs. Because he's going 30 minutes longer normally than he, normally than he does. I mean, like what is, what is, what is 30 minutes longer than what he normally goes? The, the TV show comparison is only is only in regards to length. Yeah. I mean, you're right. You are right, though. I mean, like shows begin and end at certain spots. They make you want to continue watching as, uh, you know, as you binge. I mean, at the, at the end of The Boys, which is one of the best shows I've seen in years, I, I wanted the next episode immediately. And I now I have to wait for the next season to come out. So, I mean, I, I, again, I, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but very similarly to how I felt about how Netflix was handling Roma um, there's a much larger debate here about theater chains. And I think that I, I, I want to commend Netflix on the idea that they're giving Scorsese and this movie a three week exclusive theatrical run prior to any streaming platform. And we know that the major chains, the AMCs um, are, are refusing to run the film from what we understand, because it's not going to give them that exclusivity of Somewhere between seventy and ninety days, I believe, was the is the is the time frame they were looking for. Um, but Sean and I both know this as we were at the Roma screening in in New York when we learned that the lead actor of Roma couldn't get to a movie theater. She was three hours away from a movie theater in her own area. So this is the world we live in. I mean, not everybody has the access to a movie theater. So these movie theater chains 
I mean, AMC and they, they really need to start like understanding that these windows are their compromise. But I want to ask you guys a question. Um, and this is potentially loaded. And Gabe, I'm really sorry because <laughs> it might send us in down a different direction. The the um, advent of Netflix working with some of these filmmakers um, are and, and we haven't seen The Irishman, so who knows? But it feels like it's giving them some freedom to tell stories that we might not have normally seen in the studio system. And I'll bring up Koran and Roma. You know, he, he couldn't have got that made. Scorsese now saying he couldn't have gotten the Irishman made because he needed the budget to do the de-aging. And now we're finding out he's got the freedom to make a three and a half hour cut, allegedly. Um, doesn't this all seem pretty good for the auteur theory? Sounds amazing. That uh, it sounds amazing. That they get freedom, like the freedom yeah. to not have to be whatever the constrictions were that, that prevented them from doing what they wanted to do. It almost seems like they're being removed. Also, Netflix is allowing the filmmaker uh, to dictate. I don't know if it's Scorsese, but the three week window, that's amazing. I mean, that means that people have to go to a theater to see this film before it streams. So they're clearly caring about the filmmaker. I mean, I don't think they're they're not. I don't think they made a lot of money off Roma in theaters. I, I, I would highly doubt that they did. The, the only thing I, I do want to just play devil's advocate for a second, because if you remember when Wolf of Wall Street came out, Paramount contractually made Scorsese to turn it in under three hours. So as a mm. giant, almost like middle finger to them, it's 2.59, which I just <laughs> think is fantastic. The Irishman <laughs> will be a very telling sign, because it seems like they sort of just said, dude, make whatever movie you want to make, which can be great for a, for a filmmaker like Tarantino or Scorsese. But there is a danger, I think, to no matter who you are, not having someone around you to say no. And I feel mm -hmm. like The Irishman is going to be a very telling sign about should there have been someone around Scor Scorsese to say, like, dude, scale it back? I think that's going to be it's going to be a very interesting sign as to, like, how much freedom Netflix should be giving these filmmakers and whether or not there should still be someone in there to go. Uh... I'm doing a quick search real fast just to make sure. That Thelma is editing this. Is she not? Thelma Schoonmaker? God, I hope so. worked with Scorsese? Oh my God, the cast is forever. I can't get to the bottom of the damn INDB. Yeah, she's editing it. Okay, so that's fine. I feel great. She, I'm pretty sure she knows how to tell Marty this should go or that should go. Those two have worked together forever. Okay, let's bounce also, over to... Oh, uh, go ahead, Kevin. I'm to sorry. Clar to clarify for... Uh, just for... Um so we have our information correct. That number, that runtime has only been confirmed by the New York Film Festival, yes. right? That was based on, okay. So Netflix has not confirmed this runtime. Scorsese has not confirmed this runtime. Right. So I just want to make that clear. Yeah. I mean, right now we, we are basing this off of solely New York Film Festival's um, What if it's 95 minutes? Like we were totally yeah. wrong and it's a Sandler comedy. Uh, I saw, so the new tra trailer for uh, Joker 2, Joker 2. Where's my brain? Let me start that over. The new trailer for Todd Phillips' Joker landed. It's the second trailer, uh, the more full trailer, giving people an idea of what's to come with this film. That movie has been screening, uh, and it's on its way to Venice. Um, it plays Venice in a couple of days. A couple of days after we record this, it is not going to tell you ride. Um, it will be in Toronto. I am... 100% in on this film. I know we kind of have been up to this point, but the latest trailer sold me on the fact that it's going to be something really, really special. And and even more so now, the fact that it's playing film festivals leads me to believe that this is going to be a player in the awards 
season coming up. And, and I mean, even beyond just Joaquin, who seems like a shoe in for what he's doing with the film. Do, am I overhyping this or are you guys getting that sense from this latest trailer? I mean, we live in a world where not only are we getting I mean, think, tell yourself this 15 years ago. We're getting an R-rated film only about the Joker that's produced by Martin Scorsese <laughs> that feels like a Martin Scorsese. I mean, it kind of has like a, a king of comedy feel, but yep. De Niro's in the other part. Right. It, it has, I mean, just just the feel of it looks fantastic. It, it had, The biggest compliment I can give it is that it's just almost like The Dark Knight in the sense that like it's a great movie that just so happens to have some of my favorite comic book characters in it. Like The Dark Knight is a crime saga that Batman just happens to be in. And I kind of feel well, the same way about the Joker. I'm going to be mildly disappointed if it doesn't have some Batman threads in it. Even if I don't think I, it's going to. I, I believe Thomas I Wayne, his father, is in it. And yeah. there was a shot in the first trailer, though I didn't see anything in the second one, of Joaquin um, with that little boy. Yeah. Really quick. Right. Which, which I, I also think, think that's Bruce, but that wouldn't uh, give us any Batman. No. I mean, it would give us a still, Bruce. It's still Batman. It would be Batman, yeah. I mean, it'd be a, a very young Batman. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying I want that little kid to fight him. That's not what I mean. But I want them to layer some of the Batman mythology into it. I'd be a little I think I'd be a little bit disappointed if it's such an isolated Joker story that we get nothing out of it. Um Kevin, where are you? Are we are we off the charts overhyping this or No, 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 no. I mean the first trailer uh, the first trailer for me was uh, I thought it was okay. Um the second trailer was what really sold me and I I and, and that that whole Martin Scorsese vibe of King of Comedy and and uh and taxi obviously driver. taxi yeah. driver I mean yeah it's very I, I I always to me I always felt like Chris Nolan's Dark Knight was an R-rated movie even though it was PG-13 it always felt R-rated to me um a lot of that the reason why they got the 13 is because less blood. I mean, there's still some very gruesome, disturbing stuff happening there, especially with yeah. Ledger, Ledger's Joker character. Um, so to me, I, I feel like the R rating is interesting. I'm curious how it's going to be used because um, R could mean that they go overboard with cursing or overboard with gratuitous violence. I, I, and again, the character kind of can yield those things, sure, but I want to make sure that the R rating is not being done just so they make it R. I want to make sure that it's actually story points and, and it actually takes care of what they're trying to tell you thematically. Um, what about and, the fact that it's going to film festivals? Does that surprise I mean, you guys it, No, I, I mean, I, The film Phoenix, festival thing doesn't. There are a lot of no. bad movies that have gone to film festivals, man. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Well, no, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix... I think that name alone is is the film festival. I mean, that guy is one of the best actors of our time. He's an amazing performer. And I, I've always thought Todd Phillips was a solid filmmaker. And I think that he's, I mean, just look at the cinematography that was used in Hangover. That, that movie did not need to look that good, um, but it did. Um, so I, I just find that this is, this, it feels very experimental. It feels like unknown. I don't really know what it's going to be like, which I'm excited about. It, it just feels different. And that's what makes me excited about it. Cool. Um, all right, let's jump over to uh, earlier this week, and we'll have more on Joker as, as it starts to play the film festivals, and obviously it's coming to theaters in October. Um, earlier this week, I was able to go to uh, – oh, no, I'm sorry. We're not there yet. We're with you guys. You two got to go to – I almost made a joke at the beginning of the podcast about how our audience stretches from uh, Derry to Batu. From Derry? For, oh, that would have been good. Were you just going to say that? Yeah. Oh, that's great. But then uh, I just love Kevin's tattoo so much. I made a joke about that instead. The reason why we stretch from Derry to Batu is because you two got to go to an amazing, immersive, 
uh, junket experience. And Jake, you made a bold statement. You've said, I've done a ton of press events and this one ranks near the top of it. What was so special about the It Chapter 2 press day? Well, the actual press day itself, and, and Kevin was there the day after me, so he can jump in as well. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of times where they'll have a really cool set or there'll be like a cool area uh, that you can sort of do interviews in. But there was something that just almost made me forget that I was in Los Angeles. They took... Uh, what was this old neighborhood in Los Angeles um, and that has been turned, I mean, we're talking, what, Kevin, maybe like 15, 20 acres? And yeah, it was huge. They sort of turned it into this museum where they kept it as it was from like the 1950s. So this whole area that we were in like stopped progressing with time, but they kept it up. It didn't look super old. Like it, like it looked like, you know, the house from Leave it to Beaver, but like you were in on the set of Leave it to Beaver. So they took this area of Los Angeles, entire neighborhood, blocked it off for us, and then made it perfectly, like just transformed it, just tweaked it ever so slightly. They didn't really didn't have to do much to make it look like New England, like a small New England town. And then they plastered it with dairy signage, which dairy is the town that they're in, where, where uh, the fictional town where it takes place. And I mean, we're talking newspaper stands where you could pick up a newspaper and you know and, and read the articles from what was happening in Derry. They found body parts, postcards from Derry. Um, they had trains. They had a, a carnival. It was unbelievable just how unbelievable, how just how immersive this was. And every, there were different houses all over and every interview was in a different house. And it, there was just this moment where it was just like, I mean, I'm a massive Stephen King fan and I felt like I was in Derry. Like I felt like I was on the set and you had, in order to get from one interview to another, you had to walk from different house to different house. And every house had a different interview set up from an iconic scene in the movie. And I'm still looking at different shots for my interviews and finding cool little Easter eggs of things that they planted throughout. Um, I, I there in the background right next to Andy, uh, in, in my interview, I realized it's something from the ritual of Chud. I'm, I'm like, how did it was really? sitting right next to me? How did I not even notice that? I'm so mad at myself that I didn't like pick it up and, and talk about it. Um, but just it was it was so immersive. I mean, to, to be in Los Angeles right next to a freeway, I might add, and kind of almost convince yourself that you're in New England is a really a massive, uh, in, a really an incredible experience. Kevin, what did you think? Yeah, it was it was amazing. Like you 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 walked in there, you're transformed into that into into Stephen King's world. I want to give a shout out to the uh, popsicles. They had some really good popsicles uh, there. <laughs> I, I, I'm being serious. It was so hot that, like, you know, we were walking around. Oh, yeah, and, that great popsicles. And, and they had this amazing, <laughs> like, ice cream stand, like, right as you were, like, walking by some of the houses, and the popsicles were amazing. I don't, it, it, that part, I don't know why that, that stuck out to me, but it did. Um, but, I mean, the, the setups were incredible. The set pieces were amazing. If you could just go to YouTube and look up the interviews, um, the Jessica Chastain, Jay Ryan room specifically, uh, they have us at the dinner at the at the table, the restaurant, uh, which is just detailed beyond belief. Um, there were bugs in the in the uh, in the soup bowls. Like it was it was it was wicked. Um, and yeah, it was cool because you went from house to house. There was like there was like a pharmacy area. There was it was like it it was the pharmacy. Uh, so we know that Jack Dylan Grazer's character, he gets the, um, he has the, uh, yeah. So that's where you got your makeup done. Like you went into this pharmacy <laughs> and cool. you got your makeup done and then they had like food set up and then they had, they had like carnival games. Um, they had the, they had, you know, 
Pennywise's face was everywhere. It was it was surreal. Like, I mean, Jake's one hundred percent right. You actually felt like you weren't at a junket. You and I, I remember walking up to Warner Brothers specifically and just saying thank you. I was and I and I'll give a shout out to everybody on that team, by the way, because. I, I got there Sunday. They were working until 1130 that Sunday night. We went to this It Chapter 2 experience thing that they have down in, in L.A. Uh, where you kind of go through a house and you kind of experience some of the scary moments from the the, the film. And ne- next morning, this whole thing is set up. It's three days of press with the cast all fully there. Everyone's schedules had to be in line. Makeup, hair, actors, um, the the every, the sets had to be perfect. The mics had to work. I mean, that thing went down perfectly. Um, so shout out to Warner Brothers because they that was a very outside the box type of junket, and it could have just been simply a hotel, well, which would have been fun. No, that's exactly but, what I wanted to say. Is that like I'm trying to think of how to say this without sounding like such an arrogant, pretentious jerk but like there's nothing more soul sucking than being at a junket that's at the four seasons where you're just in a hallway in a generic room um, see i here's the thing i i don't i don't mind doing junkets like that because like I'll, I'll say this like for example when i if i'm interviewing christopher nolan or something like that i kind of don't want sensory overload around me like in the sense of like i remember interviewing i, I interviewed christopher nolan at that hotel for interstellar and i don't know i, I don't know that i could have been in a setting with like space stuff everywhere. Uh, I don't know. I would have been no, a little dude, weird. I totally get it. But I'm saying like you're interviewing the stars of a new rom-com, you know, for Netflix on a Wednesday and you were at the same hotel for four weeks That's, in a row. Yeah. I mean, I, but I get that. And I, and honestly, these, these studios have been doing really, really cool things recently. They've been really going outside the box. I mean, Universal crushed it with Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, Disney's been doing some really cool stuff with, I think they did Toy Story and Disneyland. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, all these studios are now, they're really... Fox has always been that way as well. They're just thinking outside the box and doing things that kind of make the experience more uh, interesting than just a hotel room. Thinking outside the Fox. uh, I'll tell one quick story and then we can move on. So they had one of the houses on on the set... Uh, of it was just strictly for us to walk through and they recreated different areas from the it movie most famously the, the three doors scary not very scary and, and oh dude that uh, yeah, picture is, is so fantastic. great that you have that picture it's I'm so, so cool jealous. it's that, so that cool it's amazing so right when you walk in the house there was what i thought was an animatronic old woman sitting on a couch that was because it was meant to look like the scene from the first it trailer yeah. You know, the, the first day where, where Jessica Chastain's talking with the old woman. And the reason I thought she was animatronic is because she was sitting there dead still. Her <laughs> eyes were closed and she was just her little thumbs were just kind of like rubbing each other like that. So I take my camera out and I start whipping it around and taking all this video and going, oh, my God, guys, look at this. Look how amazing. Look at the sets. Oh, my, this is fantastic. And I shove my camera <laughs> in this woman's face and go. Look how realistic. <laughs> and she opens her eyes and I go, sweet mother of God. <laughs> she was real. It was just this actress that they had hired to sit on the couch. Wait, was it the yeah. actress from the movie? No, no it wasn't. She looked just like, like her. her. But Mrs. it scared Kirsch. the shit out of me. And she hadn't, I had been in that house for probably 15 minutes and she hadn't moved or opened her eyes or said a word until right when I'm in her freaking face and she opened her eyes. It was the most terrifying thing that's ever happened to me in well, my entire life. And, pe- and people like the behind the scenes stuff. Like it, it, to give you an idea of what this was like, like 
so Jake explained it visually. <laughs> now, the actors were being brought in and out of this area on golf carts. Um, so you could be walking through this dairy town at any given moment and walk by Bill Hader, walk by Finn Wolfhard, walk by Jessica Chastain. That's weird. I... I don't think I expected to run into Bill Skarsgård the way I did. I mean, the guy who plays Pennywise, because I was in the pharmacy grabbing like breakfast because I need I needed to get some coffee before my interviews. And then you just look to your left and Bill Skarsgård's just standing there looking like a normal human being because, I mean, it is surreal to watch him as Pennywise and then look at him just standing there six foot four or whatever. How he's tall, dude. Um, and just kind of being on the phone talking to friends or whoever he was talking to. It was that was that was weird. Kevin, as a part of the junket, did you find out Stephen King's favorite Jessica Chastain movie? Oh, um, he has one in particular that he really loves. Really? He watches it all the time. He can't stop um, talking about it. So in a way, I'm, I'm surprised it didn't come up in the in the interviews. I'm no, I, I, I'm not familiar with this particular news story. It's a zero dark carry. He loves it. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. That, yeah you he know what? Loves it. Uh, she did mention that. <laughs> yes. That, yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. She did mention that. We I, need I, a I totally... visual component to the show just to watch Jake's face when these conversations yeah. start. <laughs> He's in pain. Um, all right. I did not get to go. To I did memory. actually like that one. That was pretty good. Thank you. I appreciate that. I actually wrote it down on a piece of paper so I didn't forget it while you guys were talking about all your. Did stories. you guys hear about Jessica Chastain's <laughs> favorite Christopher Nolan character? No, I don't know what that is. Jessica Chas Bane. <laughs> Don't wrap that game. That's funny. That's really funny. All right. Um, instead of going to you know, dairy, you know Jessica Chastain's favorite with Superman. With you guys. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> no. I don't. Jessica Dean. <laughs> Dean Chas Kane. I got okay, to go for to God's uh, sakes. Do your job, Orlando, man. Uh, for the grand opening of Disney's. Galaxy's Edge. And uh, I will, uh, at the top, plug the fact that there are two videos on Cinema Blends. Oh, YouTube my God. Page. They're amazing. Oh, my God. They're so good. They're so good. You guys so can good. go watch right now if you want to. Um, one is uh, the walkthrough of the uh, Smuggler's Run ride, which is the only ride that's up and running now in, in uh, the Orlando. I think in the Anaheim one, too. They both only have the Millennium Falcon ride, which is Smuggler's Run. Uh, and the other one is the... Um, Construction of the lightsaber. Now, there's a there's a uh, hidden. They call it hidden, a hidden lab in Galaxy's Edge that you're supposed to find. And the whole point. So, for people who don't know this, the minute you go to Galaxy's Edge in either of the theme parks, um, you're supposed to feel like you have stepped onto the planet of Batu. It's very similar to what you guys are saying with Derry and the fact that they're they created an entire event that's supposed to immerse you into the story. Now, the the cast members who work on Batu have to stay in character. They like literally, <laughs> this is how intense this is. Another journalist who uh, we were hanging out with over the course of the day, lost his sunglasses and was really distraught about them because they were pretty expensive sunglasses from what he said. So he would go to the cast members who were working the smugglers run and he'd say, Hey, did anybody turn in a pair of sunglasses? And the girl was like, 
what are sunglasses? I've never oh heard of these God, before. Oh my God, that would drive me nuts. Well, but he, it was kind of, like, he was also into it. So he'd be like, oh, all right. Yeah, right. Um, They're like uh, shields uh, that you put over your eyes, like a visor on our planet. And she'd be like, oh, yes, I understand. No, no one has turned in an item like that. And everywhere you go uh, throughout the course of the morning, they greet you with bright suns. Bright suns, traveler, bright suns. And then in the afternoon, they switch it to rising moons, rising moons, rising moons. And then as you're leaving the conversation, they say, till the spire, till the spire. And damn, if I, by the end of that day, I was not fully in on that. To every, I was bright suns to everyone until the spire. And I would go back up to the blue milk guy and I'd be like, two more blue milks, please. And he'd be like, bright suns as a hand with me. I'm like, what the is the blue milk? Um, there's blue milk and green milk. Wait, is Yes. Uh, what? Is is the milk based specifically on Jedi? Uh yeah, well so the blue milk is from A New Hope. The green hope I thought uh, the green milk was from uh Last Jedi. Last Jedi, think, right? right? Ryan Johnson. Yes, I was wondering. So yeah, okay. So the the blue milk was delicious. Like like really it had like a And that makes perfect sense Creamy. that was the that was a good was, movie. That was a better movie. Yeah. Creamy so sort sense. of a fruit based one and then the green milk had like a floral aftertaste. It wasn't Did the did the green milk just felt like a gigantic uh, liquid uh, letdown? <laughs> like a huge, like, Right, but then the second time, when you had it the second time, you realized oh. it was actually great. And, uh, really? And everybody was wrong the first time. At, what, at the it. first time, though, did you throw it over your shoulder because it tasted like garbage? No, I didn't do that, actually. Oh, okay. I was just curious. Um, so what else? What else? Uh, oh, okay. So we go through and we do the... Uh, the lightsaber, building a lightsaber. This is a video that you guys can, can watch on the YouTube. It's oh, and, I got chills. I got chills. Well, watching it this is video. literally. It's, Are they multiplying? It's a, <laughs> it's a religious experience, and it's not. It's the way that they manipulate you with the use of the music. So you go into this workshop, and before you even go in, you have to pick the handle that you want to use, and then they give you a tray based on the the style or the model that you've chosen. Uh, mine was a peacekeeper. Uh, model that uh, just for whatever reason just spoke to me and then they come out with the pieces and you build the whole thing together and as they're walking you through it it's part of a whole presentation there's a lot of someone used the word pageantry on social media today and that's exactly what it is it's part of the, the thing but the musical cues are cued to like the minute they start talking about the Jedi John Williams's music starts to swell and the, as they mention the different um, colors that you can choose from you could choose blue or green purple or red and, and when they get to red they start to play the um, Imperial March and you just you get so caught up in it it's just amazing and uh and so now I own a lightsaber. I own a lightsaber from Star Wars. And I keep, uh, I sent you guys pictures today. I, I used it this morning to wake the boys up uh, to get ready for school. And it's just a, it's a fun toy to have. PJ wants me to hang it over my shoulder here like a samurai sword. Like get those two hooks so it can lay horizontal. Um, but I can't recommend Galaxy's Edge enough. Uh, even now, it's just a, it's a fun little uh, event area that's part of Hollywood Studios. I don't think if I paid top dollar to go that there's enough there to justify the cost of a full park ticket, but it's part of Hollywood Studios, so you can also go to Toy Story Land, you can go to uh, Tower of Terror, you can do all of that. However, there's a ride that's going to open down there on December 5th. I don't think I've told you guys a lot about this yet. Uh, it's called Rise of the Resistance, and it's going to be at um, Anaheim 2, and it's going to be down in Orlando. Dude, this ride is... It's multiple ride systems. It's like the first ride in Disney history that is going to use multiple ride systems. And by that, I mean 
Um, you get into one roller coaster cart first, and it's very similar to Star Tours. It's got a motion-based thing. You are getting onto a troop transport, they call it, and you're on that. And uh, um, the all the windows around you make it feel make you feel like you're in space. It's moving around. You're dodging um, the emperor, the empire, and um, you get caught up in a tractor beam. Well, first order. I'm sorry, first order. You get caught up in a tractor beam, and uh, they're going to pull you onto the deck. And then when the doors open. Uh, you step off onto it and you're on the deck of a starter. What? Trailer. Shut up. <laughs> and dude, this is, this ride was half finished and they made us bag our phones. We could not take uh, pictures or video because they didn't want to show off. They were like, hey, look, uh, throughout all the course of this walkthrough, uh, there's going to be some theme park magic. And then you'll, you'll see moments when there's no magic whatsoever. <laughs> and it was. It was like curtains and drapes. and See, and I like that kind of oh, stuff. I, I I, I kind of wish studios would show us more movies like that. Right. Like, when, like, like th- that way you can get a better appreciation. Like, like, you got such a cool inside look there with what you saw. I didn't mean to cut you off. No. But, like, you're basically getting a view of kind of the work that goes into a ride like that. I mean, like, people... General public is going to walk onto that ride. They're not going to know really kind of what went into the making of it. Right. And like I, I, I still cannot believe the details of uh, Sean. You've been to the Universal Studios, the Harry Potter one, yeah. right? Yeah, that stuff is great. So you you've ridden the one where you're on the where you're, when you're on the broom and you're and you're like you're going going through the all spiders. through Hogwarts. It's incredible. Hogwarts. That I, I'm not even a huge Harry Potter fan. That is the greatest ride I've ever ridden on in my entire life. Do you remember when we the, just went on it over and over and over? Because yes. we did a junket there, and so they just blocked off that area, uh, nice. the Wizarding World, but, for us. And it just like like you did with uh, the Millennium Falcon ride, where it's just like you just yeah. kept going on it because you just thought to yourself, when am I ever going to be in a situation where there's no the, line? There's no line. So I did yeah. the Falcon but, 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 ride four times yesterday, and today they were five-hour waits because nuts. the park just opened. To Sean's point, though, it's like, I mean, like the detail, I haven't ridden the Star Wars stuff yet, but the it's like it's it's basically like watching a movie come to life. Yeah. Like genuinely the sets, the feeling of what like and again, I'm, I'm only basing mine off of the Harry Potter Hogwarts thing, but I'm assuming that it's very detailed just like that. And to be able to go into a world that you've been watching all of your life, uh, I, I can't imagine oh, what that's Kevin, like. Kevin, I have to tell you, like when you are on this troop transport. And you get into the tractor beam and then the second door opens. Yeah. You walk into you then continue on into a warehouse, a warehouse sized room that is yeah. dressed like the Star Destroyer from Force Awakens on the scene where Poe and Finn are escaping and they climb yeah. into that X, uh, not the X-Wing fighter, the TIE fighter, and they have yeah. to break free of the cord. You guys know the like you walk yeah. out into this warehouse and there are 30 full sized First order troopers oh my God. staring at you. Oh my and God. And eventually over the course of that story, Kylo Ren or someone dressed like Kylo Ren will come out and try and interrogate you. And then you have to get onto a second roller coaster car to continue the ride. What? It's multiple yeah, it's detailed. Multiple ride uh transports and that are part of the whole experience. It was yeah. incredible. And that opened. And that's the seven. thing. Like Disney has so much money that they can make this stuff really good. Yeah. Like, 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 like there are, I've been on rides that aren't great and feel cheap. Like I, and everything I've written, like, especially movie themed wise at the Disney parks, this is not an ad. Um, I just genuinely think that they put a lot of care into what they do with their rides. Um, it's funny. Cause like Jake, I, I would, I would argue that Jake is the biggest star Wars fan of our podcast. Um, and I just imagine Jake's, 
uh, mind uh, being taken into these worlds. Like, 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 there was a Terminator Two ride years ago at Universal Studios. I don't even know if it's still there anymore. Um, but it was like simply you go into a movie theater kind of thing, and you and then it's in like 3D. It was, ama- but it was it was amazing to see your favorite thing come to life. So Star Wars. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, it, the detail you've been putting into your descriptions on your website, uh, on, on Cinema Blend, and obviously on Twitter. Um, but just go to YouTube on Cinema Blend and watch Sean's videos. Um, the camera setups they had that on these rides with Sean. Sean, how did Lightspeed feel? Amazing, uh, pretty cool. Uh, yeah, like, like, pretty like, cool. Is it is it a lot of it? Is a lot of it kind of the visual of the stars and everything kind of like dolly zooming away from your yeah like well remember on solo on solo they gave their actors light speed physically in in, in front of their faces like, so that's why i'm wondering if it's like that or it's not. it's not like that i'll say this the only thing disappointing about the millennium falcon ride um is that there's a avatar ride over in the animal kingdom have either of you guys ridden on that yeah no, i've um, ridden it that ride it's better, it's better to me the movie. is incredible like that you literally feel like you're riding on the back of one of those dragon thingamabobs I don't even know what they're called. They have, uh, no, it's not the Navi. That's the name of the people, I think. Whatever. Anyway. Uh, a ban- is it a Banshee? Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's a Banshee. I, 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 I didn't love the Avatar ride. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought, I thought it visually and I thought motion wise it kind of worked. Simulators are interesting to me because a lot of that's a simulation. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it is, I think, I mean, if I remember correctly, uh, but it is, it was better than the movie, at least. Oh, yeah. Better than, better. What, better than what but, Cameron but did. What Millennium Falcon does is there are times throughout the ride. Now, it's it's motion-based the way Star Tours is, so your seat is moving around and the screen is changing with you. But there are times when you have to hit specific buttons on your control panel and to jump to hyperspace, it's a lever that you pull back. So you're cool. actually, you're controlling the ship. And if one you guy, miss the lever, does it not work? Yeah, it doesn't work. You don't go forward. Oh, so it is actually yeah. fully interact. Like you're interacting with the environment. Yes. So like I rode it creating- four different times and I got four different rides each time. See, that's cool. That, to me, that's cool. Like, you know, what's actually a really good ride there is that is and again, I'm not doing an ad, but the Guardians of the Galaxy ride. Yeah, they, they, they put a lot of care into that stuff, man. I, I'm I'm excited based on your coverage of it. Well, and I and, I, and so I'm interested. It was, I'll tell you, it was such not- a blast to follow you on social media, man. It was Thanks, fantastic. Man. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, and, and I think it's a smart way to promote it too, because especially considering social is such a great way for us to kind of learn about things. I and mean, I didn't realize the detail. Oh my uh, god! And obviously, Gabe Gabe did a great job with the editing of the videos on on the YouTube channel, but just the detail that went into what they gave press for this. I mean, it just it blows oh, my mind. I actually you talked know. about you on air, Sean. Oh, did you really? Nice. Yeah. So uh, the the story. Uh, before they came to me for my hit was about how they were opening it up for the media and we were showing clips and stuff and right. and uh, my anchors were like oh like Jake I'm surprised you're not there and they cut to me and I said oh yeah like one of my best friends is there right now I'm I'm so happy for him. <laughs> uh, I can't tell you how annoying it was to have influencers there, guys. It were so many influencers and it has become a modern obstacle um, to avoid people who are walking and talking and blogging themselves. It is really obnoxious and I'm trying to be courteous. I'm not going to get in their shot, but I can't. There were literally 20 different people who were going through and doing their vlog and uh, and just made you feel like you were like you were inconveniencing them. Yet, like, I'm also here to cover stuff and I don't want to be in your vlog, essentially. So that got to be a, a nuisance, but I guess I understand why Disney needs those people. That that's my uh, old man portion of the uh, of this week's Real Blend podcast. All right, so this week in movies, 
Uh, we have two that I'm not sure either of us have seen, so I want to jump to um, the two that we have seen. But I'll ask first: um, Has anyone seen Bennett's War? No, I don't even know what that is. Uh, how about? Uh, by the way, every week we do this, yeah. And Sean it's says, kind of "What movies have now. you seen?" We, no, no, we I, see I, a I, lot of movies, <laughs> but it, but it makes it seem like we we're not doing our jobs. Like it's <laughs> funny because like the movies like, we see, we can't talk yeah. about, and the ones that are coming out, we haven't seen. So, for example, uh, and we, we can't talk about it, Chapter Two, right. because it's under embargo. Yes. But we've all seen it, yes. and that doesn't come out until September sixth, and we're recording this the week prior. So, people who are listening to this, we are doing our jobs. <laughs> it's just that we can't see every movie exactly when it comes out because we're seeing other things prior to the release. Yes. Um, has anyone seen Don't Let Go? I saw that four times actually. Oh, good. Excellent. Yeah, it was. Um, well, I I let go the third time. Right. Finally. But the fourth one, I the fourth one, I didn't let go right again. Back to it. Um. So there were two. Yeah. It, it was. It's powerful, man. It's good. All right. Uh, that gives Wait, isn't don't let isn't don't let go the David Oyelowo movie? Yes. Yes. It is. Can I can I ask a quick question? Of course. Um. And Gabe, if uh, if this is like two three minutes off topic, you know, please let me know. Um. There was a great. Uh, interview that happened with David Oyelowo recently where he was defending um, the casting of Harriet Tubman with Cynthia Erivo. Um, and this, I thought this was a fascinating story and I, I just wanted to get your quick opinions on it. Basically, Why were Cynthia Erivo... She's incredibly talented. So here's what happened. Cynthia Erivo is British and she's playing an American character, okay. right? In, uh, in, in, uh, in Harriet. In Harriet. Yeah. So uh, there was backlash that why didn't they hire an American actor to play the character. What does okay. it matter? So David, we, we had Daniel Day-Lewis played Lincoln. This, and, this is and, literally, and Robert Downey Jr. played Sherlock Holmes. This is where we're going, yeah. So David Oyelowo was on an interview defending Cynthia Erivo, basically saying that exactly what Jake just said. We had uh, a, we had Daniel Day-Lewis playing Lincoln. He Didn't David Oyelowo play Martin Luther King Jr.? Yes, yeah. Um, so, In Selma. Um, and he was amazing. I just, I just found this to be a, va- a fascinating discussion because my anchors um a lot on the air will will go to an interview of mine and they'll go oh why why are there always british actors playing american characters you know and so it kind of fed back into that idea of is it okay and like to me it, it, it's a ridiculous argument it, it it should go to whoever the better actor is for the role but I found that to be interesting, and David Oyelowo was in the news for that, and he was actually on our show this week for Don't Let Go. No, I'm not joking about that. He was on for, like, a satellite interview, and that was re-brought back up, and I thought it was an interesting talker. It is. I'm curious, just briefly, if you guys think that someone who's British should be able to play an American character and vice versa, and I I think it should just go who... Cynthia Reeve is one of the best actors working today, and that part, based on the trailer... She looks amazing it, in the role. I, I think an actor is an actor. I mean, you don't have to be agree. from out of You're outer acting. space to play someone from Star Wars. You don't have to, you know. I I, I think uh, as I'd argue as long as you're not crossing uh, racial barriers. That, uh, right. that that you're within the realm of what you should be able to play. It shouldn't doesn't matter where you're born. Can you pull off the part? Uh, right. I don't. Yeah, think but why? Any, why is why is Cynthia Erivo then getting this? I honestly backlash? haven't well, seen any back. I didn't know that there was backlash. Type for in it. David Oyelowo, Cynthia Erivo, right. Harriet Tubman backlash. It, it, there, there was, there was cast. Well, remember, remember, There's this has always been always backlash though. That's the problem. <laughs> it is a larger conversation, but I'm curious to hear from our listeners. If you, if you have the time, tweet us. Yeah. Do you, do you think someone's where, where someone's from should uh, base them on what they can oh, play? Do you know what I'm going to start doing, Kevin? I want to start doing polls. I'm going to do polls on the Real Blend Twitter, and I'm going to make that a poll question. 
Gabe? It's a, I mean, it's, it's a great question. Gabe, what do you think about that? I'm going to make poll the, questions on the Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> the Twitter? I like, I like poll questions. On and the I, Twitter. And I, th- I think it's a... And then what we could do is we could tease them uh, on our show and then give the results. There I you mean, go. If, if, if Ooh, our first it, poll question should be, should we start having poll questions <laughs> on Roblox? That's actually really funny. I, I, you know what? I, and Gabe likes that. All right. <laughs> what if we get no... Yeah, <laughs> then we know that people. Then are we know. Yeah. All right, but but so I mean, we, let, let us know your thoughts. We uh, I think the, it's a very interesting conversation. We missed the movies that are opening, but there are two films that you guys did catch up with that you both liked a lot. Uh, Gabe has said, "Keep this brief," but tell me why people should go see Britney runs a marathon. Uh, it's just, you know, it's so much more than what the trailers portray. It's a true story. If you're not familiar with it, uh, stars Jillian Bell. It's a true story of uh, sort of this millennial who kind of decides to take control of her life. She's overweight. She goes to the doctor and is told she needs to lose 55 pounds. And it turns into her mission to run the New York City Marathon. So in a, you know, in a, in a what is really not that long of a span of time, she goes from being someone who's unhealthy, overweight, goes out, drinks uh, every night, to uh, changes her entire lifestyle, changes her perspective on social media, changes her perspective on what friends she should have around her. And uh, Jillian Bell lost 40 pounds during the production of the movie, and which you, we can, you can see on screen. It's just this really uh, not overly sentimental, but very sweet, uh, very now kind of look at, at how life can get away from you and sometimes just the, the difficulty, but the, um, the, the promise of what it means to just grab control of your life and say like, I need to do something about this because if not, I'm going to start going down a path I don't like. And it's it, based on you know, a true story, right? Yeah, based on a true story. Um, it, Jillian Bell is absolutely hilarious to me. She is exactly what Amy Schumer wishes she could be. Um, oh, I, I think that she's so funny and then by the end of it, I mean, I was just ugly crying. It was, it was, it really moved me in a lot of ways um, and uh, really, it's honestly, I think one of the, the absolute like better films I've seen so far this year. That's awesome. Um, what about Ready or Not? Because that's a movie that I've heard such really great things about. In fact, we ran a five-star review of it on Cinema Blend, and I just haven't had the time to get out and see it yet, but it feels like that's something I need to go see. I've heard you to see it. It's better to see it with a crowd. Is that You have to see accurate? it with a crowd, yeah. Really? Absolutely. Yeah, For Kevin, reason? Gone. I know we, yeah, I know we the- both saw it, Kevin. No, I mean, it, 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 was, it was truly a refreshing film, um, and yeah, I mean, there's definitely elements in it that we feel you may have seen before, but the concept... Is you know one thing I love about being on TV sometimes is like if you just say something like conceptually about a story and then just watch people react. I mean, imagine this plotline being pitched. I mean, the idea it's a great of a bride getting pitch. married, right? And bride's getting married, and then the night she gets married, uh, she has to play a deadly game of hide and seek where her in laws are trying to kill her. I mean, it's a it's a it's a great concept. Um, the reason why it's great is Samara Weaving, um, who just nails the role um and I, I had the chance to speak with her earlier this week in regard via satellite uh for the film and just the the filmmaking that went into that movie the detail um one thing i found interesting about it and p- people who haven't seen it yet it takes place basically over this night so she's in a wedding dress the entire film essentially and they had to build or, or create seventeen different wedding dresses. <laughs> That's cool. That were that were then uh, that were prog- uh, as they went on in the timeline were more and more destroyed and more and more bloody and more and more dirty as the movie went on. So she was saying that she could walk up into the into the uh, costume area of the of the production, and all seventeen would be lined up in linear order, and she could see the whole film 
just by looking at the 17 dresses. That's cool. So she so she could look at like her at number 15 and go, "Oh, that's where that scene's going on." Like that's where I'm at there. So like, you know, you think about nonlinear filmmaking where movies are shot out of order, she's just jumping in and out of different dresses throughout the day, um, which is even kind of crazier to think about. So I think she said she only shot one day in the clean dress. And the rest of it was all done through the the different uh, levels of distress that the dress has. Um what works in this movie well is the comedic timing of it. Um, it is a, it, it, it finds that like Fargo, Pulp Fiction type, dark comedy route where, like the reason why you laugh at Marvin getting shot in the face in Pulp Fiction is the same reason why you're laughing at some of the things that are happening here. Um, they're not things that are funny in the least, but because of the way they're performed and written, are they shocking? They shock you. It's shocking, but, like, not really, like, I was never, like, scared. I was just more, like, it was more of an intense experience, more of a, um, like, whether or not she's going to get in and out of there. Is, is everybody really kind of saying who they really are? Because because the story basically is the guy she's marrying uh, is, comes from a very wealthy family, and he has not told her that this game has to be played at night, uh, that night. Uh, and she he literally tells her, Right before it happens, that we're going to be playing this game. It just sounds and silly. It's not. It dude. sounds silly. It's not. It works. It, it works. And it's so tight. Didn't you feel that? Like I didn't feel yeah. like there was a wasted scene. I don't know. I honestly don't no. know what the runtime is. But it just minutes. felt. It just moves. It moves. It doesn't take long to get into it. See. Um. But long enough just to kind of make you really kind of fall in love with this girl. Um. It just. It's tight. It's. It moves. It's over before it kind of overstays and, its welcome. I can't tell you that how many times, Kevin. How many times did you? When it, when she would walk into a room and realize that X, Y, or Z was about to happen, that yeah. I would out loud just go, "Oh shit! Oh yeah. shit!" Well, that, it, it was, well, that it was, was a thing. Yeah, like that was a thing. Like this character was so unpredictable, yeah. and but she wasn't. Beauty, she's not stupid. No, not at all. That's the beauty of the character. So uh, uh, the character is a badass. Like she is awesome. Like like uh, the way she. So not not unbelievably so. Like she doesn't turn like, into uh, perfect. Like yeah, yeah. She, she doesn't. Turn, she, she's not Sarah Connor. But no, she's also she just, not your cliche no, stereotypical. No, no. Yeah, exactly. She's not your cliche stereotypical, like you know, but, like bumbling horror right. girl either. But I knew, I knew I had to go see this after the fact because I missed it, and I was like, well, okay, I'm gonna lure uh, PJ to come with me because he's starting to get into horror, and everybody's saying how good it is. And he goes, I haven't heard of it, so what's it about? I'm like, well, a couple just got married, um, and on the night that they get married, they have to play hide and go seek. And it was like an animated movie where like there are candles in his eyes and someone just came over and went and blew the candles out. <laughs> the minute that I said they have to play hide and go seek and he was like, yeah, no. But I was like, no, 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 trust me, please. It's, I, no. think it's, I think it's good. He's going to love it, It was man. very similar to kind of how I felt it's about your so next. so fun. You're, you're, That's cool. Yeah, your, your next was a really good horror film. I, I know we're wrapping up, but go see Ready or Not. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because Support original films yeah. that actually are made well. Uh, Samara Weaving uh, is going to be in Bill and Ted Face the Music. So she's playing Bill's daughter, um, who's named after Ted That's so funny. Uh, in the movie, which is hilarious. Um, and she's also the niece of Hugo Weaving, which is really cool. Um, so I, I, I think, and everyone's saying she looks like Margot Robbie. Um, I mean, oh, I, she I really does. I see it in certain scenes. I mean, I don't know how Jake felt. I didn't. I didn't feel yeah. like that. I, the I, whole I think time. she does. It's like does. certain moments, but she's really, really good in it. Hey, um, you it know, really, if you're gonna look like someone, that's not too bad. That's like saying, you know, yeah, that guy looks like Brad Pitt. Yeah, was Adam Brody? You, you get that Adam, a lot, Sean. All the time. Yeah. 
Adam Brody was the was the was the brother, right? Yes. Uh, he was great. Fantastic. Fantastic. Like there. Uh, last thing I'll say about it: every character is given something interesting to do. Oh, cool. Um, every character has a fascinating background that I like. It's almost like I would love to learn more about them. Like I, I would go down a Netflix show route and go home with Adam Brody and, and his wife's characters and find out what's going on there because it's almost like bad times of the El Royale. They all kind of meet here and then stuff goes down. All right. It's just better. Speaking of characters who have fascinating backgrounds, how's that for a transition? Uh, this week's blend game was hashtag biopic blend. Now there was no hotter topic on the Real Blend social media channel than uh, the pronunciation of biopic. <laughs> and I've got people who back me. I've got plenty of people who back you guys. <laughs> so uh, we'll use biopic for right now. Where do you, do you do you stand that maybe you're wrong? No, and I still think in any sort of conversation, if I'm describing this genre of film, I'll still say biopic. And when you like walk away from those conversations, everyone right. in that room goes, why is he saying it like that? <laughs> For the record, yeah. um, I still don't know what I'm choosing. I, and this is this is actually the hardest blend game. It's a good thing you go last. I've had to, I, 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 No, I'm being serious. Like I, I have I haven't narrowed down to four. It's really hard. And I, there were, I don't oh, know yeah. what I'm... This was, this was very because, one of the harder because, ones. It's also a, it's a it's also a really tough question. There, I mean, there's so many great biopics, but like, what's your favorite? Oh. Like, I don't really. Well, if yeah. you think this one's hard, wait till next week. <laughs> next week is going to quite literally fry your brain. Um, I'm going to go are first. We're going to do hashtag real blend host blend. <laughs> it's impossible. Can't pick one. Gay. Uh, gay. It's gay. It's gay. It's all the way. Um, I get to go first, and I'm telling you the reason why I chose the Social Network uh, is because. It does what traditional biopics, um, it, it, it overcomes an obstacle that, it, that normally takes down uh, a, a biopic in that it tells a really interesting story. Biopics tend to tell a really interesting story about fascinating people, but because they are important to their time, they can often be really dusty and creaky, uh, dated period pictures that don't say anything relevant to uh, the modern audience, to me, as I'm sitting there watching, as I'm watching Daniel Day-Lewis argue um, with the Congress of the time for the passage of the amendment to break slavery, um, I, I'm like, this is a great performance, but I'm not, I'm not engaged by this. Fincher, by tackling Mark Zuckerberg, um, is not only speaking to our fascination with social media and the way that it drives uh, almost every major conversation nowadays. He's telling you about the strengths and the tragic pitfalls of people who would want to get something like this up and running. Um, it is the perfect casting of Jesse Eisenberg as Mark Zuckerberg. Um, it paints the a portrait of like a lot of times with biopics. They uh, put the people up on a pedestal. Social Network does not necessarily do that for Mark. Um, it, it makes him both uh, the hero, the villain, the victim, the antagonist. He's He wears every side of it. And of course, it's made with the incredible precision that Fincher brings to any story uh, that he tells. So I, I, I give it the nod over some other tremendous films in the genre in that it, it works so quickly to take a story that's not finished yet 
and still make it um, of that moment. It's very 90s, early 2000s with the the boom of the dot com and guys like Sean Parker, uh, who could only come about at that time. And Justin Timberlake is amazing in it. Um, And it but then it also tells it a really great human story about friends who think they're creating something uh, really special together. And then one of them turns its back uh, and leaves the other guy in the dust. And that's where Andrew Garfield comes in and just feels like, what the hell happened? We were working on this together. And how come I'm out now? You know, like it it, it does everything right. Uh, I, I almost would try to make an argument that it's Fincher's best film, but but that's impossible to do. Uh, but as a as a entry in this genre that tends to focus on stories that happened a long, long time ago, Fincher was like, nope, I'm going to do a story that's relevant to all of us now, and, and I'm going to do it perfectly. And so for that reason, I'm choosing the Mark Zuckerberg story, a.k.a. The Social Network, the movie that should have won Best Picture at the Oscars that year. I want to say one something. Um, your explanation just now was probably my favorite explanation ever given for a reason for choosing a movie in our blend game. Like, just like, yes! Here's why, though. Because like, 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 it truly broke down exactly why that movie's so brilliant. And like, I never even thought about the idea that the story wasn't even over yet. Um, you know what I mean? Like the idea that, um, yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. A lot of, there are so many biopics that do put a person, they take them out of them, their human shells and they put them in this magical realm that, that is completely not human right. and you can't relate. And it, it, it makes them a superhero and something like this movie, social network where I don't, Listen, I have no clue what Mark Zuckerberg probably thought about that film. I mean, if if he has released his information, I you know my apologies for not reading it. But it is a very human character, uh, someone who's flawed, someone who's done done something. You know, he's not a nice guy at all in the beginning of the film, uh, even towards the end. So I, I find that this comes down to what Jake always says about biopics: when you have the real person involved in the production, yeah. Um, do you get the full reality and scope of that human being or do we only get the highlights? And I think with something like Social Network, I learned a lot about who I think Mark Zuckerberg really is based on that. And and imagine this. Imagine if five years from now, Sorkin and Fincher decide to get back together. My God, they have to. They have to. To tell everything that's happened with Facebook and the amount of data that they've shared with personal people, right? Like, why not tell the next chapter? would come back. Oh, God, yes. Oh, God. I need that to happen so badly. Um, Kevin, you are still debating your pick, so Jake, you get to go next. Yeah, um, so I love uh, when we have blend topics that have so many different possibilities that we all end up choosing uh, different answers. And and with biopics, there's, seriously, whenever I kind of start bringing up some of the best ones of all time, there's just an endless freaking supply. So um, love that I picked The Social Network. (laughs) No, you did (laughs) I did. (laughs) So I picked The Social Network, yeah. Um, for honestly, I, there's nothing I can say that, that will compare to how you just say it. I, there's, there's one line in the social network that both to me sums up Mark Zuckerberg and why I think they absolutely nailed the portrayal of him. And it's Rashida Jones at the very end. I think it might be the last line of the film where she says, you're not an asshole, Mark. You just try so hard to be one. Yeah. 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 And that just sums up everything because I walked out of that movie so conflicted in a good way because I felt like I both understood him. And both didn't understand him. Like, right. it gave me an insight into who this guy was, but I still don't feel like I fully know. Like, he's so layered and complicated 
that you can't just put someone like that on the screen for two hours and say, I 100% absolutely right. understand who that guy is and where he came from. Right. Um, it's everything about that movie. I mean, from a technical level, mm. I mean, the cinematography. I literally have the the front page of the script framed on my wall. Like that's, right. I love that script so much that is framed. The, the, the social network by Aaron Sorkin is signed and framed on my wall. Like it's absolutely, that's amazing. I'd argue maybe the best script so far this millennium. Like it's, it's just absolutely it's word for word yeah. genius. And only someone like Fincher could pull it off. Every single performance is unbelievable. I mean, Eisenberg nails it. I really wish Andrew Garfield had gotten an Oscar nomination. Hell, I wish Justin Timberlake had gotten an Oscar nomination for it. Right. But one of my favorite things that sometimes biopics do is rather than try to capture birth, life, death, right. they go, what was the, what was an interesting story about that guy? Obviously, the most interesting thing to happen to Mark Zuckerberg is the creation of Facebook. But even something like My Week with Marilyn, where they don't try to capture all of Marilyn Monroe. They just do that one little week from someone else's perspective. I like sure. what they just do, and I like sort of what they're doing with Mr. Rogers. Not, Social Network is not even a Facebook movie. Though. No, it's and not at all. That's the best it's part about all. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, that, and that's the best yeah. part and it, about and it. To it that end, that's why I love that. I think Steve Jobs, someone said Steve Jobs in social media. Uh, I, I, I thought media. about answering that. And that's, I love the way that they chose just three chapters, three significant chapters. And obviously Kevin's talked about the different film stock that they used to tell each of them, but that made his story so much more compelling. Every time we sort of checked in with, oh, here are the same characters again, but now we've gone forward a couple of years and it's not going to fill in cleanly. Like here's everything we've done up to this point. Um, But you just have to sort of catch up and and get back in with the story. I also do love that. I think that's great. Kevin, the spotlight is on you now, my friend. Social network. Pick social network. Pick it. I I went with social network. Yeah. No, no. No, honestly, it is. It's funny. Um, this This was an interesting one because here's why. Look at the field of what's here. Okay, so you are crossing so many genres. There's music biopics. Yeah. There's something like Wolf of Wall Street. Then there's something like Social Network. Uh, and, and like Steve Jobs, there's so many different styles of biopics. So th- this is why this one was super hard for me. And like, how do you um, overlook like Denzel and Malcolm X, right? Right. Or Gary and Oldman then, and Amadeus or something like stuff like that. Like how you, you can't overlook that. Right. And that, I, I, that's why I say this was the hardest game for me. I ultimately went with the aviator um, because nice. I, I thought, see, to me, the beauty of these, these biopics, I love learning stories. I didn't know a lot about um, aviator combines a lot of things that I love in life, filmmaking, Howard Hughes, making movies. Um, but specifically Howard Hughes struggled with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder and something I've struggled with in my life, not to the extreme of, of Howard Hughes, but um, definitely it was, it was relatable to see that like, I don't know. Cause Howard Hughes is a larger than life, figure um in my mind prior to watching the aviator uh, i didn't know a lot about him i mean i i knew you know I, I knew about the key things that 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 scorsese focuses on from a, from a storytelling standpoint but i just didn't really know a lot about the, the, the person and i thought uh dicaprio it's kind of the same reason same way i feel about uh beautiful mind and russell crowe um when these these Characters and these actors are taking on things that, you know, specifically DiCaprio in in Aviator. I just found it was, it, I don't know, someone who's had OCD. I was diagnosed when I was 14 um, to see like Howard Hughes, like the, the uh, on screen. But the, but then the, the down moments of his life, the struggles of his life, not not the highlights that I've been learning about it, about everybody for so long. Um, I just found that fascinating and I, and I found it. 
it's it's one of the most gorgeously shot films I've yeah, ever yeah. seen. It looks beautiful. Um, I still feel the pain of when DiCaprio crashes that plane. Like oh, it is, oh. it is what like an amazing such a, sequence. What a brutal, brutal sequence that is just. Remember how he's like jerking shot. around in the cockpit? Yeah, like that movie blew my mind when I first saw it, and I and I, and, and it was. It was long, right? It was a longer film. Of course, it is. It's a long film. But it was, I don't know, I just walked away. Howard Hughes was something different for me when I walked away from that movie. And Howard Hughes was not made out to be the greatest person of all time. They showed his flaws. They showed him in, in, in his worst moments. Um, and I'm not, And th- this is not really about me like defending Howard Hughes or what, anything he did in his life. It's more just me going, oh, I, I learned about that individual. I feel like... I never met Howard Hughes, but I feel like now I have. Um, so, like, you know, Social Network's a great example of someone like, like okay, Zuckerberg's still alive, so I feel like that isn't too far away for me to understand kind of what Eisenberg's doing there, even though Social Network's a masterpiece. I agree it should have won Best Picture that or Inception that year. Um, but Nope, it was King's I, Speech. <laughs> yeah, which was rated R for uh, for uh, F-bombs. That, uh, you know, it, it was ridiculous. Anyways, um, I just found Aviator to be truly an astounding piece of cinema. And I think that, uh, it's funny, I, I feel like I like more of Scorsese's work as he's getting older. Um, that's why I love Hugo, that's why I loved Aviator. Um, and I, listen, I love Goodfellas and Taxi Driver, but... He, I don't know. Hugo was special because it kind of like reminded me of why he loves making movies. And I think Aviator was a great example of a great character study of someone who was extremely famous and extremely popular, but dealt with struggles that not people people didn't really know a lot about, yeah. and I didn't know a lot about. So I, I thought that was a powerful power. But the four, by the way, I was the, I was deciding between four movies. I had Wolf of Wall Street. I had Aviator. I had. Steve Jobs and I had Walk the Line. Those are the four that I was going to go. Walk the Line is also tremendous. Yeah, I thought about Walk the Line also. Here's another one. Previn, um, who listens to us, emailed us to say uh, Straight Out of Compton. Straight Out of Compton was a tremendous biopic about NWA. Uh, You know what makes a good biopic? Even if you're not a fan. So, for example, like NWA, I mean, I'm a hip hop fan, but I wouldn't call myself a diehard NWA fan. Yeah. But the movie transcended the fandom. It trans it, 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 it humanized. Oh, Johnny the, Cash. The, I don't love Johnny Cash, but Walk the right. Line is a great movie. But Walk the Line made me appreciate Johnny sure. Cash yeah. more. And, I also now, thought about Schindler's List. Oh, yeah. Schindler's List That's is a great, great example, one. too. Kevin hasn't and seen think, it yet, though, so he can't participate in that I, I've never seen Schindler's List. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, 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 I get why it's a hard watch, but you really got to sit down and watch it. No, man. I like think at this point now he's got to stand his ground and just not watch it. And like just it's just, not watch it. Yeah. Like, it like, like one arguably one of, one of the greatest films see. from his, like one of his favorite directors. Just don't watch it. I, I texted you guys the other day. My, my grandparents were watching Inglorious Bastards oh, yeah. for the first time. This is, I, I haven't gotten the reaction yet. So oh. my, Can they come my on grandparents, I, I love that. Irving and Blanche, my grandfather. <laughs> you have to follow them on Twitter though. Yeah. They're Jewish. And my grandfather fought in world war two. And my mom texted me the other day. She's like, grandma and grandpa are watching Inglorious Bastards. I'm like, you need to tell me what they thought immediately. <laughs> I, I would love to know my grandfather's reaction to the revisionist elements that uh, that he puts in there. Um, but I don't know. I, I just thought that was like a, re- what a random. I, it was a random text from my mom on like a Monday afternoon. Wow. Hey, they're watching this. That like, is pretty. Oh, that is pretty odd. Cool. Um, Preference said, in addition to Straight Outta Compton, uh, it's followed closely by Braveheart. That's another amazing yeah. film. Um, Abin Kana and Shelby Jones both said Steve Jobs and JJ said Malcolm X. Um, I mean, that's just great answers. You can't go wrong with any of these picks. Okay. 
for next week. People might not remember um, that we started a project where we are going to pick each decade uh, and pick our favorite films from that particular decade. And we started with the 60s because we're not going to pretend that we are up to speed on the uh, highlights of the 1950s. Old as I may be, I don't even know 50s films all that well. So we started with the 60s. Uh, let's refresh everybody. I know I said Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid for the 60s. Um, one of you two said 2001. I said 2001. Jake? Yeah. I did Psycho. You did Psycho. That's right. Okay. Which means for next week's blend game, actually not next week. Uh, I'll explain why in a second. For the next blend game that we decide to play, uh, we're playing hashtag 70s blend. And kids... If you think some of these games have been hard before, uh, try to pick your favorite film from the 1970s. I feel like mine's like done. It's e- that, one, that one's easy for me. Um, so I don't mean to drop news on you guys right as we're wrapping up, but oh. uh, I, I was going to drop just a little news that dropped while we were recording this. Sean, can I ask you how old you're going to be in 20 years? I will be 65. When you're 65 years old, yeah. you're going to be able to see the new Richard Linkletter movie that is, he's about to start shooting now. He's going to make a 20-year movie? <laughs> Boyhood filmmaker Richard Linkletter is directing a Sondheim musical that will be shot over the course of 20 years. Oh, come on. Come on. Stop it. Nope. That's awesome. I'm reading about it now. Yeah, Beanie Feldstein's going to be in it and Ben Platt. Wait, what, why does he feel the need to do that over 20 years? I don't know. <laughs> is also, it following two characters? Is that what it's going to do as they age? That, that My question, that, is, that, so does Ben and, so Beanie Feldstein, we know her from Booksmart. Ben Platt, we know from Dear Evan Hansen. Does that mean that they have a contractual 20-year I bet contract? He, I bet he locks them down. I bet he lock, and that's that, This was sent crazy. to me. So Chase, <laughs> who, is, who is one of my best friends and an avid listener to the, to the show, has been sending me these tweets while we've been doing this. And he sent me this tweet from someone that says, nothing deepens the old midlife crisis like news that you may not live long enough to see the new Richard Linklater. God, that's <laughs> so true. I mean, he may not live long enough to finish yeah. it. Oh, I mean, wow. I, think, I, think, I think it's a sequel to Neighbors 2. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch that. Actually, joke, joke. 20 years. All right. So anyway, next week, hashtag 70s blend. Kevin feels like he's already got his answer. Uh, you can let us know uh, by going to social media. We're at at real blend. Obviously, you guys can jump on there. Join the blender family, uh, participate in a lot of other discussions that are going on. You can email us your pick also uh, at real blend at cinemablend.com. So for next week, the reason why we're not um, putting a date on when we are recording, we are uh, heading to Toronto next week. And we don't uh, know if we're going to have an episode for you before we leave. Uh, We're trying to figure out a time to record because of Labor Day weekend and plans that are pulling us in all different directions. We might not have the time to slap together uh, an episode. However, we will be back the week following with a very special episode that we hope to potentially record at TIFF if all of our schedules can line up. And we'll also include a very awesome guest that we are not allowed to say anything about, but we know 100% that you guys will enjoy this guest. And in addition to that, um, I guess when we get back together, we'll talk about all the films that we managed to see uh, in Toronto. We'll talk about the buzz of films coming out of both Venice and Telluride. The Oscar season will begin to take shape. And as you guys know, that is something that is very interesting to the three of us. And uh, by then, we'll probably know how It Chapter 2 is doing at the box office, and we'll be able to give our spoiler-ish reviews um, of the sequel. So, hey, Sean, Kevin, you mentioned earlier in the show today about Stephen King's favorite Jessica Chastain movie. Right? I you did. that part yeah, of the show? Yes, yeah. I wrote it down here. It's uh, He Loves Zero Dark Carry. 
Right, but in that same interview, oh yeah, did you did you see um, did you see <laughs> that uh, it was mentioned about her um, Jake's favorite Jessica Chastain movie? Jake's favorite Jessica Chastain movie. Yeah. No, I don't know what that is. What is it? Yeah. Oh, it's, a, it's an excellent film with Michael Shannon called Jake Shelter. Um, I, and I highly recommend it if you guys want to check it out. It's, it's really a good. really, really wonderful, <laughs> wonderful movie. Please screen grab um, Jake's face and put it on yeah, social media I, it's right really, now. really, really good. All right. So until we uh, get back together again, you can follow us at Jake's Takes. You can follow at Kevin McCarthy TV and at Sean underscore O'Connell. Go leave us a review on iTunes. Send us a review at RealBlend at CinemaBlend.com, and we'll be back with you guys as quickly as we can. We promise, and until that time, because you now know the reason why we end all of our shows this way. I still don't know why we end the show this way, but Dunkirk. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.